Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, welcome back. So it's Matt here, Matt Browning. I have my next guest coming on. Uh, this is, man, I, I've been waiting for this one. Super exciting. We have Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, the president of Trans Leadership, Inc. It's a value-based executive leadership development consulting company. Now, it's not often we get a really, really high-level consultant to come on the show and pick their brain and chat with them about the business and the leadership work they do. Uh, she has clients all over the place, senior leaders and executives in large corporations, and also government agencies, including the U.S. Army. She's been hired by the U.S. Navy and the Air Force, as well as several government agencies that are those three-letter federal agencies, and we can't actually name them, but she's been hired by quite a few of those. She's also been an active-duty Army psychologist at Walter Reed in Washington, D.C., as well as the Military Academy at West Point. Her new book, Lead Yourself First, The Senior Leader's Guide to Engaging Your People for Greater Performance and Impact is out now and available. Dr. Karen, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And thank you so much, Matt. It's great to be here with you today. I am so excited. And I want to jump right in with you. You have a, a, a military background, do you not? Yes, I do. Right. So you've been a, a, a clinical psychologist. Uh, now, you were working with the U.S. Army or in the U.S. Army as a clinical psychologist? I was actually in the Army, active duty as an officer and a psychologist. How, how long have you been active duty? I was in the Army for about seven years as a, a psychologist, and then continued, of course, to work as a psychologist after that, but active duty seven years. Did you always know you were going to go into military service, or is that something? Did psychology bring you to military service, or did military service bring you to psychology? Matt, that's a, that is a great question. I probably would have described myself as the least likely person to be in the Army. I kind of grew up in that uh, post-Vietnam era, and uh, actually I grew up in that Vietnam era, and so going to the Army just seemed kind of dangerous. I think what happened, though, as I was studying psychology at the University of Connecticut, and I was thinking about where did I want to go to get additional training? And one of the things that I knew about the military is that they were top of the line as far as being exposed to every kind of mental disorder there is out there. I said, if I go to Walter Reed, which is really a medevac hospital at that time, they had people that would be medevac all from all over the world with every condition, I'd get the kind of exposure I wanted. So I wrote to them and asked about it. And then they said, oh, you have to be in the Army. I said, oh, no way. I'm not interested in being in the Army. And just long story shorter, lots of conversations back and forth. The chief psychologist of, of the Army called and said, oh, we're recruiting right now. And we'd be really interested in having you and blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, I was in the Army as a psychologist. And did you think you were going to stay there for just kind of one season and four years? What made you re-up? You know, I actually, um, it, as, a, as an officer, you don't really uh, re-up it. Uh, you do in an enlisted status. But what happens is you choose to leave when you choose to leave after your commitment is over. 
of the people who were my peers who went in at the same time that I went in, I was the last one to leave. So I stayed in the longest. And the only reason I actually left at that time was because I had met my husband when we were both stationed at West Point. And so he was going to be overseas in Germany. I was going to be in New York. And we decided that, okay, we were going to get married. It made more sense for me to get out of the army at that time and then travel with him so we wouldn't have separate households in different countries. So you began traveling with your husband at that point. What, yes. So once you, once you got out and you were traveling with him as he got moved and stationed different places, I'm assuming, did you continue doing psychology work outside in, in the, uh, what do they call that? The, the citizen level? I'm, I'm, what's the word? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, uh, yes. I continued as a psychologist because once I became a psychologist, I'm actually kind of, I'd say now on my third major career as a psychologist. And this third part I've been doing for about 30 years. And so the army part was about seven years and I had a number of years in between when I was following my husband around. And so we moved here to Colorado Springs and that's been almost um, 30 years. And that's been the third part of my career. But every step along the way, I did something different and creative in psychology. And one of the things I noticed when I was in Germany, which was the first assignment he and I had together as a married couple, was that there were a lot of very talented women spouses who were there that just were sitting there doing nothing. And I said, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to sit around and do just nothing. So I I realized there was a hospital. Frankfurt um, had a hospital that belonged to the military, the 97th General. I lived in Wiesbaden. And I said, I'm going to go over there and see what's happening. And when I went to the hospital, my intention was, I'll go maybe once a week and volunteer, keep my skills up. And lo and behold, the psychologist who was at the hospital was someone that I had known when I was active duty. And so he gladly allowed me to volunteer, you know, one day a week. That lasted for a brief time until he got transferred somewhere else. And they didn't have another active duty Army psychologist to come in. Since I was very familiar with that, had already been in the Army, they've temporarily just transferred the slot to a civilian slot. And then I worked there and served several clinics and had a wonderful time. Going from psychology, what brought you into doing the leadership consulting work? And how how much overlap is there? Is Is it a a deal where you're doing psychology and then you said, you know what, I'm going to do a whole new career, a whole new thing. Or is there a lot of overlap in it that I'm not seeing where when you go into these organizations and you've done a lot more than just even the government organizations, you were saying you work with some of the largest nonprofits in the U.S., um, right. some large faith organizations, all sorts of things. And corporations as well. And corporations. And you work at a high, high level with high privacy as well. So I was saying, well, who'd you work with? He said, well, I can't tell you that. And that tells me that they're, they're a bigger deal than I realized. What brought you from uh, the psychology side to the leadership side? And then secondary follow-up is what's the difference in your mind or what's the difference in application between the two when it comes to organizations? Okay, wonderful. You know, it was really while I was in the Army that I got very interested in leadership because not only were we responsible to work with individual soldiers about mental health issues and to help them in their adjustment with very difficult situations and circumstances, we also had to look at units. We had to look at leaders and to assess culture and determine 
what in this culture is facilitating success for these soldiers and what's getting in the way and what could the leader do to be more effective? So because of that, that's really how I got interested in what I call the business application of psychology. And so I said, well, one day in the future, down the line, I'd like to take a deeper look at that application. But it had been my dream really since childhood to be a psychologist, be in private practice and work, you know, one-on-one with people. That was kind of like my vision. So when I got out of the army, I did a lot of that for a good while. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to test out that interest in the business application. So when we moved to Colorado Springs, I made contact with an organization here, world-class organization, the Center for Creative Leadership, their training organization in leadership. And I started working for them to see if I would like it. And so I worked there for almost five years. And then I started my own company because I wanted to do more of the consulting piece, not just the training, but I found out that I love that just as much as I had loved the one-on-one work in, in clinical psychology. So they're different, but what's the same as I use the same education, the background, and the training, and apply it into just a completely different setting? Because we don't do therapy with leaders. We don't do mental health. Oh, no, you don't do therapy. No, we're not doing any of that. But how many leaders do need therapy in a way? You, they're not going to hire you for that. But is there an element of, I don't know, psychological, is there an element of therapy? Is there an element of growth in, in the coaching, in the leadership that you do? Like the executives that are involved in the consulting, is there still an element of, of bringing in that personal side of things? The personal side is very important in terms of understanding that a leader is a whole person and they bring their whole self to work. So you have to really think about them as a whole person in that sense. It's not therapy. If I actually find that one of my clients truly needs therapy, I actually refer them to a colleague who actually is in the therapy space. Now, that doesn't mean we're not involved in growth that we're not involved in learning, that we're not involved in change or doing things differently or having a different mindset or shifting perspective. However, we're not addressing mental illness. That's the difference. It's all about the workplace. It's all about the you know, leadership and how do you really get people moving in the right direction and accomplishing the mission in a better way. That makes really good sense. So I want to pivot a little bit and talk about from the entrepreneur side of things. There's a lot of people that I know, me included, that would like to do more corporate consulting, more corporate training, or ultimately just have, you know, higher end clients. And you've done that really, really well. Outside of being in the military for seven years and having the government connections or those, I'm sure not every single one has come from that. Do you have any suggestions or, or places to start? if you want to move more into the corporate side versus the individual client side in business, in the leadership business, and your business is trans leadership. Mm -hmm. Yes. Here's what I would say and what's helped me. It, it, It matters where you show up as a thought leader and where you're speaking. So even in your case, Matt, you're out there in the public eye, you know, with your podcast. And the question is where else could you be, whether it be, um, let's say a corporation or uh, a professional organization might have a a newsletter. They might have um, um, a journal where you can write an article. 
they, you, there may be a speaking engagement that you could do. Because what I find is that business leaders, they want to see how do you think and how do you apply these principles? And if they like you and they're getting a taste of you somewhere like that, that's when they really sign up. They're not going to go to Facebook typically. I mean, even though I have Facebook accounts on, they're not going to find me as much on LinkedIn or even social media. But if I'm at the professional organization as a speaker, whether keynote, workshop, whatever, that's when they say, oh, I like what she has to offer. That could benefit my business. Or if you've written an article. And write, so writing articles, showing up and speaking in those places. Where they are. Mm-hmm. That's right. Dr. Karen, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, unfortunately, we are just about out of time. I want to make sure that everyone looks at Karen's book. Uh, it's Lead Yourself First, phenomenal leadership book. And this is, again, we're talking to a person who has done leadership training for ultimately the, the largest organizations uh, in the world, in the U.S., from corporations to faith organizations to nonprofits to government agencies and the U.S. military. Uh, Dr. Karen, any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? I'd love, we have about 15 seconds for that final. If you could only say one thing to the world, what would it be? I'd say this, each person, each one of you is gifted and talented to show up in a special way. So, and to play your own music. So I would say, play the music that only you were destined to play. With that, I'm going to leave it. Play the music that you were destined to play. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Dr. Karen. I really appreciate your time. And looking forward to connecting with you again, having you back on soon. Thank you. 